It's 8 after 10 o'clock. Welcome to the second hour of the Talking Point this Monday morning. We are going to be in conversation over the next hour with the head of the Special Investigative Unit. That's the SIU advocate, Andy Mutibi. Of course, we'll also open the lines a little later on. That will be after half past 10. And also give you, as our listeners, an opportunity to interact with Advocate Mutibi. Also, ask him questions around some of the cases that the SIU has been looking into. There is no denying the fact that this is an organization that has its hands full. And in fact, it's actually hard to keep up with the work that they're doing. Advocate Mutibi, good morning to you. Thank you so much for coming to the studio today. No, good, uh, good morning, Kathy, and uh, thank you for inviting us to, to the studio, and good morning to the listeners. There's a lot for us to talk about, and I say the SIU currently is dealing with so many different cases, and, and this is where um, I really want our listeners to also take up the opportunity, because there'll be some cases I talk about, but there'll be many others that um, might I might not bring up that our listeners would also want to bring up. You have 67 active proclamations currently. What does that mean? Right. As you know, that uh, uh, for SIU to formally uh, commence investigation, the SIU requires a proclamation from the president. So what we do is once we receive the allegations from members of the public or state departments, we then process those proclamations to the president and if uh, it's satisfied that uh, it meets the required uh, legislative requirements, then he signs off. Mm. So up to, um, as at the end of March this year, when we did an analysis, we've actually seen a growth in proclamations of uh, more than 100%. Uh, and that really says that there's a lot more uh, allegations being reported. So as we speak, there are quite a number of proclamations still under process towards the president's office. But at the moment, the current ones, mm. the current ones, those that have been signed already uh, are about 67, as you say. And it means uh, just one proclamation. For example, the ESCOM proclamation, if I make that example, uh, it will have various uh, focus areas because uh, the latest one, for example, uh, that was signed by the president in, uh, in 2022, uh, late 2022, uh, authorizes SIU to look at almost all the power stations. Mm. So you can imagine the kind of work that will be executed under that one proclamation, right? Uh, if you take, for example, the uh, University of uh, Fort Hare, uh, proclamation. There's a number of uh, focus areas under that proclamation. If you take NASFAS, there's a number of focus areas. So I'm just saying... Lotteries? It's uh, If you take lotteries, yes. Uh, almost uh, more than 1,000 uh, NPOs that we have looked at at the moment and still more to look at. So the 67... It's just really the number of proclamations, but under each proclamation, there will mm. be a number of investigations. Mm. How many are still sitting on the president's desk that have been processed from your side that you're waiting for the president to sign off on? Uh, at last count, uh, we had about 20, 
just about 25 or so. Mm -hmm. uh, and remember, the process starts with SIU, and then it goes first to the Minister of Justice, because uh, by law, every proclamation has to be co-signed by the Minister of Justice. So they go there first, and then uh, go to the uh, President's office. And at each area, if they go to the Minister, they get reviewed mm -hmm. against the law, mm -hmm. right? And then it takes a bit of a while uh, they go to the president, they get reviewed against the law again before the president signs. So, yeah, so there, there, there's quite a number of... So, so, so the general then wait time between um, the SIU sending through this proclamation versus when it has been signed and co-signed by the justice minister and the, and the president, what's the wait time that you're looking at there? Right, I'm glad you asked that question. Um uh, shortly when we really started with our new strategy about five or five years ago or so or six, amongst others, uh, we realized that uh, uh, we needed to get to that uh, timeline because we needed to explain to the whistleblowers, you know, I have reported this matter, they would say, how long do I still have to wait and all of that. So uh, at that time, we got into conversation with the Department of Justice and the Presidency, and we engaged and got into a memorandum of understanding just mm -hmm. for that to assist us in this progress. So we've got timelines within which they should be at the Minister of Justice and the timelines within which they would be at the Presidency. And cumulatively, we're looking at about 30, 31 days or so. All right. Yeah. So, so it's not taking as long as it used to then no. to have these proclamations signed. Not at all. And you haven't experienced challenges with what you have put forward on the president's desk and, and having that being followed up. Not on. at all. Not at all. Uh, we work uh, closely with the president's team that reviews the proclamations. If they need to just understand few legislative issues will respond quite quickly and we see that process unfolding. Let me begin with what you've started off with, the elephant in the room, as some may describe it. ESCOM. Right. Advocate Motibi, what is happening at ESCOM? Right. Uh, Kathy, I think uh, as the public would probably have picked up, you know, over the last few months or years, that, um, you know, corruption, if I were to start there, uh, corruption is quite endemic at, uh, at ESCOM, and I think it's public record. Um, the SIU started investigating there uh, way back. The proclamation that I saw that was issued before my time was well in about 2012, thereabout, um, and, and the report was issued. And in that, in that uh, proclamation was to investigate some of the current issues that we are still dealing with at the moment, mm. coal transportation and a whole lot of other conflict of interest and so on. So so we are faced with a situation where we really have to to decisively, you know, deal with the maladministration, the corruption and the and the malpractice and the issues of conflict of interest. You've got at last count in our current investigation, we've referred about 5,464 employees to management for having failed to declare their interest in entities that could be doing business with ASCOM. Uh, and as you would know, that this conflict of interest, look, it finds presence uh, across government, but then ordinarily it becomes a base on which, you know, 
these other corrupt activities would follow. Because mm. uh, if I'm an individual doing business uh, or a member of an entity doing business with ESCOM in my business area, I am many, many chances mm. uh, that uh, that entity would find favor uh, against other entities and so on. And we've seen that happen. So, so just to respond to your question, over and above some of the technical issues that government is dealing with, uh, the Minister of Electricity is uh, seized with that, but there is this area which requires all of us uh, across the law enforcement mm. agencies to deal with it and deal with it decisively. There's some results that we have uh, reached as SIU and of course with other law enforcement agencies and I can go through that if time permits mm. uh, but we really need to see a drive decisively to bring consequence management. And, and these 5,564 employees are still currently in ESCOM? There are some who are still currently in ESCOM. Some uh, action has been uh, taken against them. Uh, but uh, really, those that action has been taken against, uh, on a percentage-wise, I would say probably 10%. Oh, that's nothing. Uh, we need to see more action. Mm. We need to see more action in that regard uh, so that they are dealt with and, if need be, taken out of ESCOM because you don't need those kind of people there. Is this why you are now, based on what you said before Parliament last week, recommending that ESCOM be given access to bank accounts, to email addresses, to cell phone records of its employees? Yeah, amongst others, uh, that's the work that SIU does. Uh, but we have seen that uh, if we are to be complemented you know, by internal investigative efforts of ESCOM, we would probably you know, uh, reach a bigger outcome. Uh, but yes, we have seen that, uh, that there might be, there might be a bit of uh, impediments when it comes to access to banking records and so on, which SIU will continue to do. But uh, the collaboration would be that ESCOM would send those to us and ensure that, uh, you know, from our legislative mandate, we access them quickly, we come back to them. And this is more on a lifestyle audit perspective mm. Mm. so that remember lifestyle audit is part of the prevention actions so that uh, well we do that even in the investigation so that if you are a person of interest so-called uh, we are able to say uh, we've done lifestyle audits on x and we have seen that uh, his or her lifestyle is not commensurate with the income and then that becomes a corruption risk indicator uh, then we are able to look at that area intensively. Advocate Mutibi, why does it take the SIU to uncover effectively what ESCOM should be picking up in its own checks and balances system? Um, it can't be that hard to trace employees who are also part of companies that are bidding to do work mm. with ESCOM. Mm. Surely, if you're looking at a tender, you're seeing these are the directors, these are the people involved in this business. Why can't they pick up that their employees are there? Yeah, good question. Thanks for that. Uh, in fact, when we do our investigation, uh, as I say, we found this you know, big number of conflict of interest or failure to declare. There are policies, by the way, at ESCOM that requires uh, all employees to declare uh, their interest. Uh, and failure thereof should be treated as a 
you know, uh, a misconduct. But uh, there has been these failures over time, uh, and quite frankly, nothing much has happened. And we would then seek to require from management. Why is it that uh, you have not been able to pick this up? Uh, when there's a policy, when there's uh, processes requiring employees to declare, and in any cycle of reporting, we should be seeing that management has picked this up ordinarily as expected by policy. Mm. Uh, and failure thereof would need to see which level of management has failed to do this. And then there should really be consequence management uh, meted out on that level of management as well. Because you are right. If there's a policy saying we need to mitigate conflict of interest, which would help us mitigate corruption, that needs to be done. If it's not done, then there should be consequence management. Do you get a sense that management at ESCOM is turning a blind eye to the wrongdoing? Given the scale, 5,000 employees is not a small number, Advocate Motivi. And I refuse to believe that this was only uncovered when the SIU came onto the scene. Yeah, uh, it's, it's problematic, and I agree with you. Uh, no, one, no one would really uh, uh, agree that uh, this, is, this, this was really just an oversight. Uh, it might be. It might be really uh, a deliberate inaction on the part of, you know, uh, management at the time. Because it, for, for us, it comes over time. I mean, the, uh, the latest proclamation really was in 2018, another one 2020, another one 2022. And in all of these instances, we find conflicts of interest. And I referred you to the earlier one of about 2012, where the conflict of interest was a bit, I think around 2012 report, when I looked, it was around, hovering around 2000 or so. Mm -hmm. It has gone up now. So the question is exactly what you're asking, is why is it that is not dealt with? Uh, uh, and and for, for lack of really uh, explanation, one could uh, assume that there's a deliberate inaction on the part of management, and we need to detect that. What makes it interesting is that what you are seeing here also takes place under different leadership at ESCOM. Between 2018, 2023, we've had different CEOs, we've had different boards, yet they're all unable um, to, to deal with this issue, seemingly hamstrung. Um, yeah. You, 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 you're the expert here, Advocate Motivi. As an investigator, you look at the situation, mm. you're trying to make sense of it because you also would be the person who's sending through recommendations yeah. on what needs to be done. And you, there have been those recommendations. Have they been implemented? Uh, they, they, I would say, what, on a scale of you know, uh, 100%, I would say about 80% non-implemented. Uh, which is a problem on itself, right? So what we are doing, and you'll see, uh, I have issued a clear instruction to the investigating teams that uh, when we find uh, uh, adverse findings of this nature, mm -hmm. and there is a consequence management that needs to be meted out, we need to, you know, uh, determine at all levels, right? And all levels means, you know, uh, middle management, senior management, executive, up to the board. In any particular period, as you say. In this period, if there was a failure of declarations in this period, who was in charge? Uh, and we have to ensure that those who were in charge at the time 
we take action against. Uh, uh, the, the other question could be what happens to those who left uh, uh, for a particular period. If we find that uh, there, has, there had been losses in a particular period, and we've got cases that I will quote to you, uh, where we are in court, including former CEOs, mm -hmm. former board members, you know, former, uh, former minister in one of the cases is cited. And those are the previous periods where we have found that there has been losses in that period which were attributable to failure of action by a particular management stream at the time. So as we go along, we will dissect every period and everyone who's been responsible in any particular period will not escape uh, consequence management. What do you make of comments that say that the likes of Matela Koko, the likes of Brian Molefe should be allowed to go back to ESCOM? I would have a totally different view, uh, and it's really not personal. It, it's based on the findings that uh, we have made against both uh, individuals. And in fact, one of the, one of the cases that we are in court uh, with, uh, and this is civil court, by the way, uh, we have a, a matter where we have gone to court with ESCOM uh, in, a, in a matter worth 3.8 billion, right? And we are just calling it as uh, emanating from the losses from the state capture. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't say that uh, uh, those people, those individuals, uh, should, be, should be returned in the face of all these allegations and being at court already. There's a conversation often around the threshold for civil cases versus now having the matters in, enrolled in, in, in criminal uh, cases. Is it easier for the SIU to institute civil matters than it is to criminally charge people? Right. Good. I think uh, that, that becomes really a fundamental question, and the public needs to understand this very well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not easy in any, other, in any of these forums uh, to, to bring out the case uh, and, and, and prove the case. It's not easy at all. Of course, the, legal, the only legal issue that's different is the standard of proof, right? Uh, in criminal cases, you require what's called beyond reasonable doubt. And in the civil matters, you require what's called a balance of probabilities, right? Uh, and that is, that is not, uh, that's no mean field. It's, 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 it's not it's no mean feat, so mm. to speak. Uh, mm. it's, not, it's, not, it's not easy. If you look at what uh, we bring out in high courts and now in the special tribunal, we are really happy about the results of the special tribunal. We are required to prove our cases, you know, as they say, be, uh, uh, on a balance of probabilities, but we have to prove each and every fact that we allege, mm. right? You could actually even say the way we do it is, is that we need to eliminate any doubt, even if it's, it's in the civil case. So, so the only difference is that legally the standard of proof is different, but the effort level, the effort level is the same. Why do you think there is then this attempt to almost reduce what is happening in the civil courts and in civil matters? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think uh, it's 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 popular popular speak. Uh, those who are really ignorant in terms of what happens 
in these matters. Um, uh, reducing it, uh, I think, I think it's unfair. Uh, and and as I say, it's not really understanding uh, the kind of evidence that we have to adduce in these matters. It's equally tough to prove your cases in uh, in in both forums. Of course, as uh, as we say, the standard of proof is different. But when we say we have to prove that the a specific procurement contract was entered into irregularly and has to be cancelled. Mm. It's not an easy matter, that. Because uh, the, the, the prejudice and the consequences it has, it's quite massive. If you are to set aside, like uh, we in ESCOM, as an example, we set aside a coal uh, contract worth $3.7 billion, right? Mm. And setting aside that contract has got consequences on individuals and companies and would result even in others losing employment. So, so you, can't, you can't, being a legal practitioner, uh, just you know, approach that on a, on a, on, on a, on a laissez-faire approach saying it's easy to deal with civil matter. The judges take similar seriousness on, mm. both, on both areas. We're in conversation with advocate Andy Mutibi. He is the head of the Special Investigative Unit. When we come back, we'll wrap up on the issue of ESCOM and that, what is it, pesky intelligence report uh, that we are now dealing with where ESCOM is concerned. We'll also be taking your questions, of course, for advocate Mutibi. Yes. The number to dial 086-000-2032. Uh, you can start dialing now so that when we open the lines, you're first in the queue on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. I'm seeing plenty of your no voice notes coming through for advocate Mutibi. We're going to try and make as much time for that as possible. It's now 10.30. Time for the latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're in conversation with the SIU head advocate Andy Mutibi. We've been uh, speaking about a number of issues, the work that they've been doing, some of their active proclamations, a huge chunk of it really centering around ESCOM because that is honestly one of the big cases that they're confronted with. In fact, I think every other time that you're before Parliament, you're being called to answer on ESCOM. Tell us about this intelligence gathering exercise at ESCOM. What, what, what is wrong mm. with what has happened? You know, we've, we've heard about the, the fact that there was this intelligence report commissioned by the CEO and who has been involved in it. What's wrong with what happened? Right. Uh, Cathy, thanks for that question. Um, so uh, just to get back to the initial question you asked, what's mm. going on at ESCOM and we said... You know, there's corruption that's rife and endemic there. Uh, uh, we need to also just indicate that, you know, the time at which, you know, SAU has been investigating there, uh, we've really picked up a whole lot. And that's why we are able to say our observation is that, you know, corruption is endemic. Uh, and there's been quite uh, a number of uh, uh, findings that we have made and a number of recoveries, uh, just to quickly indicate you know, we found that there's companies, and some of them blue chip and international companies that have accepted and admitted uh, based on our investigation that they, you know, got contracts based on corrupt uh, uh, actions, including collusion with internal 
uh, ESCOM uh, employees, right? Uh, an example is ABB uh, that has got contracts there. It had to pay 1.5 billion back into into ESCOM based on the findings that we have made. Uh, there's other uh, contract that we can point to. Now, based on that, uh, the the then CEO, as he as he explains, that uh, he found that you know there's corruption and and, and he needed to to gather some intelligence, right? Uh, as he says, uh, he needed to gather that intelligence so that it can point to areas where, you know, there's, uh, there's corrupt activities. Uh, so while that is a, it's an, a sort of an acceptable base to be worried as a CEO that there's corruption going on and you would need to get on top of it and get it acted upon, uh, we believe he might have gone around it the wrong way. Uh, because um, a gathering intelligence is the is the preview and the single uh, 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 preview or domain, I would say, of the state uh, security agency, right? So there are laws that are applicable in terms of uh, gathering intelligence and so on. So, but anyway, that part it's it's sort of being investigated at the moment. We are going to get to the bottom of how is it that was done. We raised certain questions at Parliament in terms of uh, why did it become necessary, uh, as he said, uh, who did the investigation, we've seen the public reports, who paid for that uh, investigation, we've seen public reports, where is the report? Nobody seems to know where the report is. The board doesn't have it. Uh, uh, the, the executive doesn't have the report. Uh, so... So if it was a report which was done to benefit ESCOM, by now I would expect... Do uh, you have the report? We don't have the report as SIU. We don't have the report. Uh, we've called for it from ESCOM, and that's why we became aware that ESCOM doesn't have it. So we will continue uh, to look for that report. As we said at the last uh, sitting of Parliament, that uh, even if we have to use the legislative powers like subpoena and so on, we will have to do that because we believe that uh, possibly the contents of those that report can enable and assist our investigation. So, but to your question, we believe that uh, although the basis may probably have been prudent to look into information, but the way he went around it, uh, it's, it's, it's wrong, I would say. The reflection there is that you have a CEO heading up a, 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 an institution endemic corruption and being let down by the investigative bodies of the country. And there is this deep sense of mistrust in terms of what happens if I if we leave only the police to investigate because there's some players there that could well be involved. So given that as 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 the context do you think it, it still wasn't justified for him to have gone about it in that way? Look, uh, I, I think there's a sense of that mm -hmm. uh, from, 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 what, from what we pick up from the sentiments of the then of the former CEO. Uh, but still, I mean, if, if, if he was not satisfied uh, with the law enforcement agencies, it came up clearly at the last sitting that... Uh, you know, he had issues with the SAPS uh, and uh, I think the Hawks as well. Uh, but 
I am still of the view, and we are still of the view that uh, that really shouldn't have taken him to take those uh, 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 measures of uh, doing what should be done by uh, SSA. What best should have really been done is to escalate these matters. Uh, and we know that he says he spoke to certain individuals and, and, and Scopa is busy uh, you know, gathering information around who did he really speak to. H- have you tried to get in touch with him? We have. We have uh, uh, after his interview with ENCA, uh, I specifically instructed the team to reach out uh, to him uh, so that firstly we could uh, hear and understand what his allegations are about uh, and, and, and why is it that he did not report them uh, when we had so many uh, meetings with him during the investigations, we would do that. Uh, and uh, uh, number two, just to get you know uh, an affidavit or so from him, and then we can take forward uh, that um, they reached forward to him on his cell phone number that they had, uh, but there was no response. Let's talk about Preka and the potential that he could well be charged under Preka. Yes, uh, there is a potential, uh, and you, as you might have followed up, that uh, uh, I think DPCI, the Hawks, are investigating that matter. But there is, there is a potential from where I sit that uh, he may have fallen short of Preka because Preka places a certain kind of responsibility of a person in his, uh, or at his, uh, at his level um, uh, that uh, if he becomes aware of uh, corruption um, anywhere, in this case particularly at ESCOM, uh, he should have reported it. In terms of recommendations that the SIU made um, to ESCOM under his watch, do you get a sense that there was an improvement with how corruption was being dealt with? Look, I think uh, uh, I should really be positive on that to his credit. Uh, we have seen quite a number of uh, our recommendations uh, being being acted upon, particularly those that we have referred for disciplinary action, uh, we've seen matters being acted upon. Uh, so, so those systemic recommendations. Remember, part of our mandate is to look at the weaknesses in the system and mm-hmm. make recommendations on how the system can be improved. We've seen that uh, you know management was receptive, and we had uh, started working with them to improve. Uh, an example is the recommendations we made around uh, the testing of coal. Mm. Because uh, this issue around coal, uh, we've made a finding around it that, uh, you know, the the manner in which coal is transported is vulnerable to to corruption uh, and possibly being interfered with. Because you have heard, uh, I think the Minister of Police and, and Minister Gordon also mentioned that, that there's instances where ESCOM has found that coal was mixed with stones and all of that. Mm. We have made similar findings and we have recommended to ESCOM and said when coal is delivered, is it they should look at a mechanism of testing the coal on arrival. And look, I mean, this is probably massive because ESCOM receives tons and tons of coal uh, in any particular day. But it's incumbent on them uh, to ensure that uh, contractually 
they ensure that they receive what they ordered. But these are, these are some of the problems. But to your point, we have seen some of the action really been, uh, been, been taken at the time, and we were really pleased around uh, consequence management. But we need to see more of that, because uh, it is really only through ensuring that there's consequence management, and in its wider sense, mm. not only discipline, we need to see consequence management on, say, prosecution. We need to see consequence management on civil litigation and recoveries. So we've recovered quite a number of properties and monies. Uh, but as people would say, you know, you, you would recover assets and money from these people, but they will stay free in the streets and not be, and not be jailed. You know? So we need to see that other aspect also kick in. Th that lands at the door of the NPA and maybe even the Hawks in, in terms of some of the investigations that, that still need to be completed. Are, is the NPA the weakest link in this chain? Because we have to understand it as a chain of these different entities that, that work together. We need to see you know, this system work and work well. Is right? the NPA so, working? So um, as I say, uh, look, maybe not to take much of your time, in in. In 2017 already, we raised a point uh, when we looked at our new strategy that placed premium on the impact of our work, right? We said our work will not make impact if all of these referrals are not acted upon, including referrals to NPA, right? So we got into an MOU and we started seeing some improvement. We've got a revised MOU now. So uh, I wouldn't say that uh, sort of a weakest. How, how many referrals have you made to the NPA? Uh, as of as of the last financial year, uh, we made I think more than two hundred uh, referrals to, to to NPA. I can get you the exact number. Uh, um, it's it's two hundred and seventy-two, isn't it? Uh, in the in the referrals made to the relevant prosecuting authority in the last financial year, actually, mm -hmm. it's five hundred and seventy. Oh, five hundred and seventy yes, to the NPA. If you look into our, our in the last financial in year. our annual report last year, and and how many of those have been taken up? Look, uh, we we we've got a report, and I'm hoping that you can give me a no, second chance. No, Advocate Mutibi. Uh, at, at the moment, <laughs> look, if I were to look at, let's say, percentage-wise, uh, it's probably around what. 10% that's in the process uh, at, at the moment. But there are cases, Cathy, that, that, that I can that, point that, to. That is, an, that is an incredible failure you know, on the part of the prosecuting authority. You, know, you, you do so much work. There must be some disappointment that after you have done your bit, you are then waiting for prosecutions to take place. And only 10%... Yeah, of the of, of the ones that were referred. If if I were to do it cumulatively of all the years, I have to come no, out to a, the a, some, some percentage. No, the the yeah. last financial year is good enough because yeah. it, it speaks to the current state of, of affairs. Right. You must be disheartened by that. Look, and uh, we've taken it up uh, with, the, with the with the prosecution, and uh, I mean we, we believe that they are they, they are acting upon that. Just in Escom, Kathy, you've got uh, uh, in a state versus Lakudi. Those are the senior managers in ESCOM that have been arrested and that followed the process, the NPA process. I, I right? realize so, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, Advocate Motivi, and right. I, I'm being deliberate about it because when people look at the criminal justice system, they see one thing. Yeah. They don't see the breakdown in institutions. Indeed. So you could well be doing what you need to do, 
But if your neighbors on the other side of the road at the NPA or the Hawks are not pulling their weight, it then becomes a reflection of all of these uh, entities altogether. So people don't separate and say the SIU is not working. They say our criminal justice system is not working. No, very true. Very true. And that is why, uh, as I would say, law enforcement agencies, including NPA, we meet collectively in the fusion center that you may be aware of. And at the anti-corruption task team, we believe that uh, we really need to put uh, uh, the, the, the hand to the, to, the, to the shoulder, as they say, or shoulder to the wheel and make sure that all of us uh, bring our part. Let me go to the phone lines. Terry, you're in Cape Town. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome back, and good morning to the listeners. Kathy, thank you so much. This is a long-awaited um, uh, interview that you're having. Good morning, Advocate Andy Musibi. Good morning. Advocate Musibi, I've got a platter for you and a table that's overflowing. I wish to lodge a complaint directly to you because I can't get hold of you via email, etc., etc. I'm meaning you personally as the head of SIU. I'm lodging a complaint directly to you now against employees of Cape Town of the SIU mm-hmm. who sorely neglected to investigate maladministration and, and uh, of our income bonds and pension monies to date. They have all the relevant evidence. I have all the prima facie evidence I've submitted to them. I've even complained to screening. I've got all the evidence, so we need investigation here into the, I'm going to repeat myself, the maladministration of our ESCOM bonds, which ESCOM is the bondholder, and pension monies they're taking on bonds we do not owe to date. All right. And right. They invest- Attend- Excuse me? Yeah. Uh, Terry, I'm going to ask you to pause it there. We'll put you back to the producer uh, so that we can actually get in touch, get you in touch with the officials uh, from the SIU yes. office. We undertake to really come back to you. Once you, if we get the, your details now, we'll come back to you this afternoon and ensure that uh, we put in, in place a process to get those uh, allegations looked at. Let me go to Mafi Keng. Mbona, good morning. Morning. Yes, I, I want to ask you, the advocate there about uh, the farm corruption of 56 farms of 2017. When is that going to be arresting the people who are owning illegally farms? Mm. I'm not aware of, of that matter being investigated by the SIU Mbona, mm. Advocate Mutibi. Look, um, uh, we've got matters of in, in the land uh, department and some in the deeds space where land uh, was uh, illegally occupied. And there's been some results uh, announced recently in Gauteng. There's been uh, those uh, land that has been freezed. Uh, but if there, are, if there are certain other matters that you are really specifically referring to, uh, I would like you to really reach out to us uh, and, and give us those particulars. And we will continue to look at that. Uh, as, uh, as it was indicated earlier on, you could either leave your details with the producer and then we'll get them, and we undertake and promise to revert to you. Yeah, because I read it from the book of Land Matters. Okay. That's yeah. where I get it. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right, Mbona, thanks for the call. Percy, yeah. in Matlosana, good morning. Good morning, Sister Kathy. How are you, an advocate? Mm. Morning. 
Thank you, Sister Kettyman. If you uh, the thing is that, man, uh, let me go to straight to the land issue. Eh, Sister Kethi, where the land owners here in Matlosan, in Fentrodop, in a place called Marokskal, a chairperson of the trust, we lost 27 million in our trust. We've got the document, everything, but we don't get the help from SIU since we opened the case 2015 until now. Mm-hmm. We've got everything, the title is from the land, where the land owners in that place department they release the report they say our budget it was nine hundred thousand but the assets that we have in farm they are more than that tractor bike fence chicken chicken structure that was built it was worth 18 million but we can't get help here all right, right. Uh, if i can just uh, comment yeah as i said we've done quite a lengthy and intensive uh, investigations in the land and rural development. Advocate Matibi, uh, so, let me do this. Yeah. Sorry to interject there. Okay. I'm going to ask you to pause. I'll give you a chance uh, to conclude right. uh, that, that response to Percy after this break. Okay. On SAFM. We continue our conversation with Advocate Andy Mutibi. Your response to Percy? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Percy, for that question. Uh, as I said, you know, uh, SIU did a very lengthy investigation across the country in the land and rural development. Um, once more, I would really want to get your uh, contacts so that we can look at that investigation and see whether those farms in Matlosani were covered, and if so, uh, wh- how can we give you feedback and so that we can action mm. uh, those uh, uh, those recommendations that we made there. Abakwe in Daung, good morning. Firstly, my concern is one, the visibility of SIU to the society. Like myself living in a deep rural area of Taun, like maybe if I want to launch a complaint sometimes, it's it, it, it difficult. So maybe can I see you try to come up with some plans, okay, maybe to come quarterly, like maybe to Dr. Rousseau, but just to check and interact with people to check, maybe they can raise some concerns directly to them. Like, truly speaking, my sister, there is a lot of corruption activities that are happening this side. Because we are living in a deep rural area. Like you find out that, okay, Department of Agriculture said they have bought us a certain equipment, but those things never reached us. Mm. I thank you. Have a lovely day. Thank you, Abagwe. Dr. Mutibi? No, thank you. Advocate, thank you. Sorry, thank, you. thank you very much uh, uh, for that question. Uh, we will make sure that uh, because our office that services Taung is uh, it's in Mafikeng or Maikeng, as you know. Uh, but we are busy now with the strategy of ensuring that we gain presence in various areas uh, in the country. We've just established an office in the, in the Northern Cape. Uh, that will serve. That used to be serviced by Free State, so we will ensure that uh, we increase our presence. Uh, amongst others, what we have, we are also seeking to consider is uh, uh, making making technology available. And I know in the rural areas it may not be that easy, mm. but uh, in areas where we really have no presence, we would like to really establish what we would call SIU online, uh, so that you know you can deposit your your uh, allegations and report there and by the next day you should get feedback uh, in terms of how are they being processed uh, but we we hear that uh, Kathy we will have to make sure 
that we devise a strategy on how is it that we can reach uh, the people across the country. We have had those uh, those calls before, sure. uh, mm-hmm. and and we are looking at the strategy to expand our our footprint uh, where where the people are. I've got a question here from Anonymous who wants to know, um, is the SIU investigating the Palapala matter? If yes, what is the progress? If no, why not? Right. We, as SIU, we're not investigating the Palapala matter. Uh, the Palapala matter is investigated by uh, DPCI, the Hawks, uh, and that's really the reason why is it that, number one, we're not investigating it because already it's been investigated by Hawks. Number two, uh, it's because uh, it doesn't really fall within, you know, the legislative prescription of uh, what SIU should really should really look at. Uh, but I mean, along <coughs> along the lines of corruption, yes, you could argue that we should come in. But al- of course, already uh, Hawks is in, is investigating. But there are other cases that the Hawks are investigating that you are also looking yes, into, right? definitely. So surely the fact that the Hawks is investigating shouldn't be an impediment to the SIU getting involved. Right. Uh, those matters where uh, Hawks already is investigating and we are already investigating is areas where we've got the proclamation already. For example, in, uh, in Northwest and Free State, you would remember the so-called Butelezi ambulances. Uh, we had proclamations. And out of the proclamations, then we had refer- referrals to, to Hawks, and then we started working uh, closely together. Some, so, pol- some political parties have suggested that the reason why the SIU is not investigating is because you need a proclamation, and that would need to be signed off uh, by the president. Uh, ha- have you had complaints about this to brought to the SIU? Uh, about not Palapala not officially? specifically around uh, Palapala, no. No, we haven't. So none, so, so none of the political parties have actually lodged matters with you? Relating to Palapala, yes. no. No, okay. none. Okay. Yes. W- would it be complicated, though, if you were ever to try and get a proclamation on this issue? Look, uh, that question uh, keeps sort of coming up in yeah. various platforms where we investigate that what happens if there's a need to uh, investigate allegations relating to you know a particular president because you would need his sign off you know we haven't had to deal with that scenario before but uh, our response is that we need to deal with each and every uh, allegation as it comes our way uh, and if it's uh, uh, allegations you know indicating to you know a particular uh, presidency we'll have to look at uh, processes that could probably bring in parliament in terms of how is it that we we go about investigating that matter. But as I say, this is really speculative. We've never had to deal with that kind of, uh, of a scenario. Are you satisfied with how the presidency deals with and follows up on the recommendations that you make, particularly those that affect government departments mm. and again that affect state-owned enterprises? In fact, Kathy, uh, that question finds... Uh, response in what's happening currently at the presidency and in fact it started almost a year ago uh, when when the president himself became aware that uh, there is there, there is inaction in terms of uh, uh, implementing the recommendations of SIU there is a project at the presidency and a system is in place already uh, already the reports have been sent out the president wants to know what's happening with those recommendations of SIU. Uh, I'm sure at, uh, at, at another occasion we can present to you what that system looks like, but 
the presidency is following up and we are part of that project team. We really look forward to all of those who have failed to implement the SIU recommendations doing so or being acted upon in terms of consequence management. What happens beyond the recommendations? I mean, are you looking at a situation where you think more needs to be done, given the fact that some entities and departments simply ignore your recommendations? Look, uh, and I'm glad you're asking that question because some uh, comments have come and say, why is it that the SIU recommendations are not binding like uh, mm, you know, public the protector. public protectors ones? Uh, we are considering that as part of the legislative amendments, um, uh, then coin them similar uh, around the you know peremptory or you know uh, a binding nature of the of the of the recommendations. So, uh, and remember, the binding nature of the public protector recommendations came from the court decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we we sort of learning from what we are seeing, because without that, uh, I think we'll continue to struggle with this in action but beyond beyond non-implementation at the moment we, we want consequence management should people should be acted upon advocate andy mutibi thank you so much for your time on the talking point this morning it's just after 11 o'clock time for the latest news update independent and impartial this is safm news